Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! You're listening to Left to Our Own Devices, the podcast dedicated to everything product security. So this is a big one. Our guest today is Dr. Alan Friedman, a.k.a. the S-Bomb Rockstar. Dr. Friedman is one of the world's most prominent leaders in product cybersecurity. He's both a technologist and a policymaker with more than 15 years of experience in international cybersecurity and technology policy. He's known for his amazing ability to design, convene, and facilitate complex multi-stakeholder policy processes, which he demonstrated more than once while leading CISA's efforts to coordinate SBOMs around the world. We're really looking forward to this conversation for a long time, Dr. Friedman. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. So maybe you can share with our listeners how you broke into cybersecurity and specifically into the world of SBOMs. Sure. So uh, my path to uh, InfoSec was actually through being mediocre at a lot of different things. I started off as a wannabe cryptographer, um, but wasn't smart enough to write proofs for a living, uh, wasn't you know great enough to write uh, code for a living at the highest levels. And so I ended up uh, getting a degree, uh, my PhD in economics, but it wasn't real economics, it was applied economics. And postdoc in computer science, uh, doing some work on sort of cybersecurity measurement and realized still not a computer scientist. So by then I was a mediocre computer scientist, a mediocre computational modeler, a mediocre economist. And when you're mediocre at that many things, you often gravitate to Washington, D.C. Uh, so I moved down to D.C. to uh, join a think tank and write some papers on cybersecurity policy. Had a lot of fun doing that, being sort of a professional expert. And then uh, one of my mentors came to me and said, hey, instead of just talking about cybersecurity policy, do you want to help shape it? And so I, I joined the U.S. government. And the, the vision that we had is to say, if we talk about a market failure in security, what can the government do to help promote more efficient security by bringing different parts of the community together, right? This, there are a lot of issues where we can't just solve it by nerding harder uh, or by just sort of like resting it on one corner of the ecosystem. We need a broader convening. And so I uh, did some work on things like vulnerability disclosure, which your audience may remember. That used to be a very controversial, uh, you know, dangerous topic. And what we did uh, was sort of, for the first time, use the government power of convening to say, hey, let's get the product security teams and the security researchers together in the same room and have them use their I statements and have them talk about, you know, what did they think each of them thought was the obstacle uh, for collaboration and think about collaboration. And that sort of set this tone of bringing together a community, not for the government to tell people what to do, but for the government to help facilitate the community finding common shared solutions. And so SBOM seemed like a natural fit. It had been around for a while. Uh, you know, leaders of folks like you know, Josh Corman have been talking about it for a while, Jeff Williams. And uh, so we said, hey, listen, we've been talking about it for a while, but we haven't actually made progress on saying what it is and how we do it. 
And so that is really how we started that work, uh, first at the Department of Commerce, and then now continuing that work uh, here at CISA. Great. Very interesting. So I'm curious, uh, having seen you know, the SBOM evolve over, over the years, do you think there's a difference between using SBOMs for medical devices, for example, versus using them for industrial equipment or cars or any other purpose, really? So that's been part of the fun of, of building out the, the SBOM community is on one hand, we all use the same software, right? If, if you sort of drill down to the open source world uh, or in, in different libraries, right? There, there's a lot of overlap. And that was one of the initial uh, points we tried to raise is we need to have a common vision across all of these different sectors. And in fact, you know, even some of the regulators, so for example, the FDA, which regulates medical devices, said we should not have, and I, I, much credit to them for acknowledging this and recognizing this early on, we should not have a healthcare-specific SBOM. You know, the healthcare sector should use what other buildings. However, there are unique features in different communities, right? Uh, and some of that's technical, right? An embedded device is different from a modern web-based application. Some of it is sector-specific, and a lot of that is culture-based. So, for example, the automotive sector, on one hand, really gets supply chain, right? There are very few sectors that have spent more time understanding and monitoring their supply chain. On the other hand, it's also, uh, especially in the United States, an industry that doesn't like to share a lot of information, right? There's a lot of litigation. And so there's sort of very strong urges to keep things locked down. Uh, there are very strong antitrust protections, which means that the major automotive manufacturers tend to be very wary about collaboration unless there's protections. So there's a lot of nuance as you're building out communities. And a lot of what we try to do is to make sure that no one is going and reinventing SBOM, but that everyone can take it and make it their own. Right. That's great. So, so then what do you see are the main challenges for integrating SBOMs into the product development uh, process? You know, I, I think in some ways, product development has a little bit of an advantage because we're, we're building things. And so, you know, the, the traditional part of how you build things is you, you know what you have, right? We use the term software bill of materials uh, takes right, the analogy straight from a traditional bill of materials. And so no one who is going to build a widget would think of building their widget without at some point in their process and fairly early on having a traditional bill of materials, which is to say this widget has this many who's it's and this many what's it's, and this is the supply chain for those. And, you know, we're all paying a little in the supply chain. And so you have to sort of say, okay, well, if I can't get the who's it's then, or if there's a delay for the what's it's, what do we do? So software, I think, fits into that model quite well. Right? You can't say that you have a truly modern process if you're not tracking what software you're using. And the other good thing is for newer organizations and for more technology-oriented organizations, it's easier to integrate this into our tooling. Where we've seen a lot of the pain has actually been in some of the very large organizations that have a certain amount of legacy processes, you know, many different product families that each of which has their own, you know, management structure. A lot of them are have merged and remerged in acquisitions. So, right, there are many different organizations that they're still trying to integrate. And so newer organizations that are developing modern tech often have an advantage. 
And I just want to point out, uh, just as a quick aside, that's pretty rare in cybersecurity. A lot of the cybersecurity control model really favors the economies of scale of larger organizations. What do I mean by economies of scale? We mean that if you're going to invest in building a cybersecurity program, it costs the same whether you're a giant company or a small company. So the average cost for the small company is much higher. This is a, one of those rare areas where newer and smaller companies can actually do things faster and more agile uh, and, and produce better results. Yeah, just, just thinking about, let's say, a company, you know, one of the big medical device manufacturers, without mentioning names, that has, I don't know, 100 product lines. Maybe they have 10 different versions of each one and trying to track all of the components and then looking ahead, let's say, five years where they have to support these when they're already out into the hospitals. And, you know, it just seems like uh, if unless they have the proper solutions in place early enough, then they, it's going to be chaos. And uh, We've heard a claim from a major manufacturer in the ICS space uh, where one of the leads for product security has said, uh, this, if we had SBOM today, it would save us thousands of hours a year for our organization. Um, because when there is a new risk discovered, um, being able to use the power of technology to figure out are we affected or not is, is such a, a huge dynamic um, rather than having to sort of go and manually look and you know have it devolve down to each product family, each of which is you know dealing with their own different issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, it sounds like a lot of the things we we hear uh, as well. Um, so I'm curious, going back to to your uh, vision, you know, to have this unified approach uh, across all industries. So, do you see a single Asbom framework? becoming the standard in the in the market? So <laughs> this is where we sort of have to go and say, what do we mean by a standard? And, and what are we trying to do? I think what we have done is reached a, a shared vision, which is to say, there's the core idea of what an SBOM is. And then there are extensions we can layer on top of it. And then there is the data format that you convey that in. And then there's further standards on top of and around that. So let's let's break that down. One is right. What's what's the core SBOM is the way the community described it. Uh, following the recent executive order, we we use the term. The U.S. government used the term uh, minimum elements, uh, where we say, okay, what is it? And 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 really, that is just the minimum amount you need to track what is in your software. So this is the dependency. It in turn has these dependencies, and it's it's you can think of it as a graph or a tree. And for each of the components, there isn't that much information that we absolutely need, right? We need, you know, the supplier, the component name, the version, so we know, you know, if you're affected or patched. We need a set of identifiers. We can talk about the challenge of software identity in a little bit if you want. Uh, and then where did this data come from, right? Was this uh, written by, by the product manufacturer? Did it come from an upstream supplier? Did it come from a security testing company and so on? Now... There's a lot of other information we may want. So, for example, one of the early uses of SBOM, even before security, was around licensing information, right? This component is this license, this component is this license. So there's further information that we can put in the SBOM. Uh, and some people are tempted to put a lot of data into an SBOM. I'm always worry about that because, especially if it's time sensitive. So, for example, vulnerability data in an SBOM makes sense from a developer's perspective, right? Is there, they want to be able to track it uh, inside their organization. However, 
if your SBOM then crosses an organizational boundary, then you may not be able to know, is this data live? Is it updated? And so now you, the only thing worse than you know, not having data is having potentially bad data, having that risk of, can, can I trust that this vulnerability data is up to date? So we've got the core model, we've got expanding it. And then how do we convey it? And there are two great SBOM data formats today, Cyclone DX and SPDX. We are quite militantly neutral. Uh, we work closely with both communities. They're both open. They each have small advantages, uh, but in general, they, they've, they've both worked hard to continue to refresh what they're doing. And they're, they're both sort of excellent data formats that fell into the sort of phase of, of standardization. And then the last piece on top of this is say, well, looking forward, we need more metadata than just what's in the SBOM. And so this is the idea of linking SBOM data with other types of data. And that's going to happen through other standardization efforts, other specification efforts. And we want to make sure that there's maximum interoperability so that we're not trying to overload everything into the idea of SBOM, um, but really follow the time-honored tradition of a modular architecture so that right folks that are you know, really making progress and tracking their software security and their supply chain can track all that data. But we still have the basics of SBOM that we can ask smaller organizations or legacy organizations to provide. Well, well that's great. And I think you partially answered my next question, which is, uh, where is SBOM headed? And let's maybe look at it on, on the basis of the product security teams and what, what do they really need to do in order to prepare themselves for working with SBOMs? So the, the easiest thing is every product security team should look upstream into their own supply chains and start asking for SBOMs. And your suppliers may not be able to give you SBOMs today, but you should certainly start asking them. And even slightly more precise, if they cannot provide an SBOM or they will not, then we need to start asking why. You know, what does it say about an organization that is either unable or unwilling to share their supply chain information with their customers? So that's the, that's the first and easiest piece, which is you don't have to do anything. You just need to sort of talk to someone else and get it from them. Then it's about the process of saying, how do we build this into our own development systems? And of course, different uh, product teams are going to have different tools, right? If you're a modern shop with CI, CD pipelines and a good local repository model, uh, then it, again, this should be pretty straightforward. And you may even be already keeping this data around. Um, just make sure that the data can be managed in some well-known and well-understood formats. And again, I'd point people to uh, SPDX and Cyclone DX as a way of doing that. So then, right, so that's step two is tracking this data. And again, just making sure that it's available internally. And then the last piece from a product security team is to say, how do I integrate this SBOM data into my existing security tools, security requirements, security processes. So again, it's the idea of sort of doing some basic of mapping to known vulnerability lists. And there are different product security teams can have different concerns. So, you know, for example, there are folks in the telecom world who now have to pay attention to, you know, hey, what, what country did this thing come from? That's always a little dangerous to sort of talk about countries, uh, but that is something that governments around the world are starting to pay attention to. Now, that may not affect someone who's doing, you know, a sensitive home IoT device, right? You still need good security, 
but you may not care about uh, some of the, the regulatory sides of things. And then so as you start to sort of integrate in the use cases, then it sort of says, well, let's integrate it into our existing tooling. So we already have our you know, functional testing model. So let's integrate it into that. And then the last piece is going to be, just as we started off with you asking your suppliers, being prepared for what happens when your suppliers start asking you for an SBOM, thinking through what that's going to look like. Now, sometimes this is going to be pretty easy, right? If you've got a solid shop and you're happy with your supply chain and your team, you've, got, you, you've made the right hires, then you know what? Just, just share it. Or even better, make it available online, um, right? Folks are already starting to use you know, example.com slash SBOM or example.com slash well-defined slash SBOM as a way of sharing this, right? So if, if, if you don't have any issue uh, with sharing your SBOM, because why, why would you? There's nothing magical in it. Then, you know, start thinking about how to share that and get it to your customer. If there are other sectors where we know people are going to be reluctant to make them public, for example, things like uh, the energy sector, then, you know, start thinking about how you're going to get that to your customer. Again, this isn't a brand new idea. There probably is more information that your customers are starting to ask you about your software. So you hopefully have some sort of secure channel already. Right, right. I'm curious, one of the biggest questions in our industry is who is responsible for, for product security, right? So <laughs> that's a big one. So what do you think in the future... Will the end users be responsible for, for validating S-bombs, for example, hospitals? Um, or will it only be the manufacturer's or the supplier's responsibility? I, I think we're just going to put you in charge of it, Shlomi. We're just to do who's in charge? <laughs> Shlomi. Uh... That's a big responsibility. I'm not sure you want to you hand it over to me. <laughs> But uh, you, you've touched on, on some fun points, which is, one, what does the sort of accountability chain look like? And then what are the things that we're worried about that actually require more effort? So one piece moving forward is to say, hey, who is responsible for what's in a given piece of software? And the answer is the supplier of that software. Uh, and this is something that the White House has publicly said. And by the way, they include open source in, in that consideration. And in fact, last year, when there was uh, for the executive order 14028, The White House had a great line in the introduction to, to that executive order that said, the trust that we place in software is proportional to the transparency uh, that we see in that system. And, and so that, that sort of set, lays out the high-level vision. Now, one question we often come across is, well, hey, can I trust that the SBOM is, it gives me what I need and what it has? And I think That question doesn't give us enough information. We sort of need to go through what is our threat model here. Are you worried about accidental error? Are you worried about intentional deception? Or are you worried about an active attack? So we're still learning about S-bombs today, right? Folks are providing S-bombs. There are lots of tools out there. But it's entirely possible today that you know, a tool, especially one that sort of is a heuristic-based that's uh, you know, using a scanning model may sort of produce slightly different, two different tools may produce slightly different results. And that's okay. You're still much better off having most of that information. And so if you're curious, hey, have you given me the full SBOM? Now, whoever gets that SBOM can say, okay, I can throw a tool, I can throw my own tool and compare. And is this mostly the same? 
And are there errors? Well, let's let's try to uncover that. That's a negotiation. And that's one of those conversations where you don't have to use blame, right? You can just say, hey, let's let's talk through this. Or the supplier can say, you know what? I'm using a commercial RTOS in my product and I don't have their SBOM. So I'm telling you that I'm using this. I'm going to work hard so that in six months, I will try to get you their SBOM. That's the error omission side of things. The next approach is going to say, well, I'm worried about my supplier lying to me. Now, if you're worried about your supplier lying to you, you've got a lot of other problems, right? Uh, So for example, just in, in currently, if the US government buys product, we take advantage of the fact that it's already illegal to lie to the US government about what you're selling. And that's true under many national consumer protection laws. You're not allowed to lie about what's in the box. So yes, you can always do a little verification if you're, you know, if you're worried, but really if that's a bigger set of trust. And then the last piece that we probably should be focusing on in the longer term is say, well, what about a targeted attack of the supply chain that is sophisticated so that someone has actually undermined the SBOM generation tool. And this is completely right. We, we should start, we should think about this risk, right? right? If you look at the attack against the solar wind security company, if they had produced an SBOM from their process, it would not have been uh, as valuable because the attackers were able to compromise the underlying tools. And so this gets to, I think, the future of where we're going with SBOM, which is to say, we don't just need details about the software, but we need attestations from the software build and uh, creation process. This is still this is still very emerging. There are some really great open source projects uh, that are starting to tackle different pieces of this, such as Intoto, such as the signature model with SigStore. There are some OWASP projects that are trying to track this. There is the Open Source Security Foundation's Salsa Framework, which is a a mechanism of saying, here's a a set of supply chain levels of assurance. So this is where we're going. And and organizations that are in a high assurance should already be thinking about this if they're not already. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, uh, we'll get to a point where the viability of how much we can actually check going back will, will almost... I don't want to say dictate, but it'll almost have a big play in how much and and how far back where it will actually be able to go. And I think, you know, once we get to that point where the cost and risk uh, kind of meet together and and the manufacturers say, okay, this is as far as we can go and we haven't had any attacks and we haven't seen any threats. So maybe that's, uh, you know, oh, I guess we'll see. So, so I guess we're all in agreement, you know, that SBOMs are on the way to becoming standard and it's only a matter of time. So maybe we can talk about the day after once SBOMs become the standard. Uh, how do you think regulators will be able to consume such a huge amount of paperwork reports when you consider the exponentially growing amount of device software you know it's 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 where it is today and, and we know that the com- competition is going to be on the software and functionality of the software going forward not on the hardware so where, where do you think that's going to take us so uh, well so let's let's break that apart just sort of saying hey how, how do we consume this SBOM data and then what are the particular requirements of government so SBOM has always been a bit of a chicken and egg problem no one had been asking for this data, so no one was supplying it. No one was supplying it, so no one had been asking for it. We have always tried to tackle it as a market issue, which is to say, think about creation and consumption. But there's been a natural privilege of the creation side because right, we had to create them. 
That is, I would argue, even in the last six months, that has radically matured. So this is, this is a problem. I won't say it's 100% solved, but it's certainly right. Almost anyone should be able to start creating SBOMs for their software. So now we have the question about what do we do with them? And I am confident that we're going to see in the next year a pretty strong leap ahead about people coming up with new things to do and creative and efficient things to do with SBOMs. Today, there aren't giant piles of SBOMs sitting around. And so we haven't seen a giant wave of people actually shipping products to deal with them. But I know a bunch of folks that are starting to build out products and services to do exactly that. And there are a couple of things that we need to think about. One is the data management problem, right? So at a certain point, every cybersecurity problem becomes a data management problem. As you start to generate data, what do you do with it? And we saw this in a host of other areas, uh, asset management and threat intel, right? And incident right. response, right? This is, there's nothing new about saying we've collected data, but we don't really know how to manage it. We'll figure it out. And in fact, one of the nice things about SBOM data is it's well-structured. You know what computers are good at? They're good at managing well-structured data. So I think we're going to be moving in that direction. And what I'm really excited about is the new use cases, right? We, we, we know some of the basic use cases. They're about vulnerability management, rapid response to emerging risks, compliance. But I'm really excited, and, and I've already had a couple of conversations with organizations that are starting to come up with some really cool new use cases. So I think we're going to be moving in that direction quickly. So... We're heading towards consumption. There are a lot of smart people thinking about it. And just shout out to any of your listeners who want to do either academic research or uh, start their own company. This is going to be a boom area over the uh, over the next year or two. So you know, if I understand that VC money is still uh, still out there. So you know, if you if you decide today is the day that you start your own company, think about doing an SBOM consumption company. So what is the government going to do? I, I sort of have a, a mantra that you know. Policy can be good, policy can be bad, but at the end of the day, government's going to govern. Uh, and one of the things we've tried to do is to make sure that no one gets ahead of the skis and, and tries to go off in their own direction. So one is just to make sure that we're all following the basic model of SBOM. We don't want anyone to go and reinvent the wheel and to sort of assume that this is going to be an evolving process. So let's be very careful to not lock in specific technical solutions and, and make sure that how we frame things, explicitly acknowledge this is going to evolve, sort of acknowledges that right, we may find new solutions. So for example, um, when we say, you know, give me an SBOM, we want it machine readable. And so the, the minimum elements model that the US government has propagated, it says it must be automation friendly. And by that, we mean a widely used SBOM data format. So if a brand, if someone creates a brand new SBOM data format, by the way, please don't, but if someone does and a bunch of people adopt it because it's just that much better, then that's something that we would encourage uh, the government to get behind. And so as we move forward, we want to sort of acknowledge this and focus on, on what's possible. Right, right. So... You couldn't agree more with, with all of that. And, and on that note, Dr. Friedman, it's been an, an honor. It's not every day we get to chat with the people who are literally shaping the physical world around us and keeping it safe. So uh, you are definitely one of them. And we want to thank you. And uh, long live ASBOMS. <laughs> Anyone who wants to get involved in the ongoing process is welcome to join us. CISA has been coordinating a global effort. And so please visit cisa.gov slash SBOM 
uh, to learn more about what we're trying to do and join the conversation. It really is the sort of thing that is better if we have many smart people working together. Agreed. Thank you very much. Really, we appreciate this. Thank you. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.